Smith Children's Church. If you're in first grade or younger, you can follow your teachers and leaders out. That would be great. And the rest of us are going to begin by thinking about what it is that is most important to Christians. Christians are into a lot of different things, but if we're talking about authentic Christianity, we're talking not about cultural Christianity, but real Christians, uh, what, what are they most into? What is the most important thing to a genuine Christian, to an authentic Christian? And I've got a great little quote here from the Apostle Paul that I think captures what is most important to us as Christians. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That is what's ultimate priority for us as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's talk, just to begin, why that would be the case. Why would a sincere and pure devotion to Christ be the most important thing for all Christians? Well, it would be because He and He alone is the ultimate worthy one. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ would be appropriate because He is the centerpiece of all human history. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ would be appropriate because He loved us as sinners. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ is appropriate because He did everything necessary to reconcile us to God. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ is appropriate because apart from Him there is only condemnation. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ is appropriate because He is the eternal Son. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ is appropriate because there is no greater good just to get us started. In light of Christ and who He is and what He's accomplished, there's nothing more significant, there's nothing greater to us than a sincere and pure devotion to Him. It's what we want if we're Christians. It's what we want of all other Christians if you boil it all down. Therefore, when a sincere and pure devotion to Christ is assaulted, it's a crisis. It's a battle. It's horrific. Because the most important thing on planet earth is being assaulted. And so this morning what we're going to do is see the Apostle Paul's response to such an assault. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we're going to be looking at the first 15 verses this morning where the Apostle Paul is responding to those who are assaulting a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Okay? And it's, he's going to say things that aren't nice. Okay? He's going to say things that in other contexts, would not be appropriate to say. Okay? Someone who talks the way he's going to talk at the dinner table <laughs> or at a dinner party is out of line. Okay? But when a sincere and pure devotion to Christ is assaulted, this is the way you respond. And I hope as we work our way through these 15 verses, I hope his sincere and pure devotion to Christ and his desire to have other Christians have that rubs off on us. But I also hope negatively what also rubs off on us is having seen the importance of what Christ has done and who he is, that we would be willing to be just so rude 
in a good and sanctified way by the power of the Spirit. So this morning, first 15 verses of chapter 11, here's what's going on in 2 Corinthians. Paul has had interchange back and forth with the Corinthian church. He's the one that brought the gospel there originally. Okay, so they're pretty, and they're pretty new Christians. Uh, they seem to be doing okay. When the Apostle Paul plants your church, things go all right. Uh, but it doesn't take very long before they're, they're being misled in their immaturity and their other uh, influences to the point where now, point where now we have false apostles um, trying to move them away again from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So the Apostle Paul has blasted back, if you will. Uh, and, and at this point in time, having read through the whole letter up till chapter 11, he seems optimistic that most of the Corinthian Christians are coming around and, and they're getting it, if you will. But there's still this time here toward the end where he's going to lambast the false apostles to run them out of town once and for all, hopefully. And he also is going to be pretty strong with the Christians who are still thinking about following and moving away from the one true Christ. So keep those things in mind uh, at this morning and next week and the next couple of weeks as we work through this. Again, this is not for the faint of heart. Um, the, the, the watching world thinks um, if you have good manners, you're essentially a Christian. Okay? So if that's your take on Christianity, the Apostle Paul's really going to let you down today because his manners aren't good and he's not nice. But again, that doesn't mean this is how he always acts. But when the most important thing on planet Earth is assaulted, only a coward would be nice. And so we're seeing that fleshed out here before our very eyes. Lots of sarcasm. Um, interesting things going on. He borrows from their language, the false apostles' language, and turns it at times. Um, he's going to talk about wanting to speak like a fool. Um, and that's because he has to defend himself and talk a lot about himself. That's more for next week, but we'll see that. But let's jump in. No more, in, no, no more intro, no more time wasted. Let's go ahead and begin working our way through. No outline this morning. I just want it to, to, to become contagious uh, so that you might have this kind of devotion and passion. Verse 1 says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. And I think that's mainly for later after the first 15 verses because fools promote themselves and he's going to have to promote himself as in defend himself. And so in that sense, he's being a fool. But I think that's mainly for next time. So let's keep moving. Here's the motivation. He says in verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. So the marital imagery. Church is the bride. We learn that in other texts. Christ is the bridegroom. So he's using that kind of imagery. And he says, I am jealous. Not jealous because the Corinthians are starting to listen to other good Bible preachers. He's not jealous because somehow they're starting to listen to other people who also preach the gospel. No, I have, that would just be jealousy. I have a divine jealousy. It's authentic. It's genuine because the people you're listening to aren't telling the truth. They're not telling the truth about Christ. They're not telling the truth about God. And so it's a legitimate, divine kind of jealousy. I want to present you pure to Christ, with pure devotion to Christ, but it's not looking so good. Keep in mind, this is, this is a loving gesture, if we can assume the best motives. 
uh, out of love for them, he wants them to, to be all that they can be, all that they should be, to present them to Christ. Uh, that's, that's love. It's love for Christ as well. What, what, what would he want to present to Christ? A spiritual adulterer? Fornicator? No. He loves Christ. He wants what's best for the church, yes, but he wants what's glorifying and honoring to Christ. This is a divine kind of jealousy. This isn't over turf wars or popularity contests. There's a genuineness here. Then in verse 3, cause for concern, but I am afraid. I am afraid. I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve... This is no small matter. Look what, he's, look what he's calling upon. As the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. The word for sincere, singleness of purpose. And if Christ is the one true mediator, if Christ is the fulfillment of the new covenant, right, which he talks about earlier in the letter, if Christ is the way to be reconciled to God, which he talked about earlier in the letter, if those things are true, it makes sense to have a singleness kind of devotion, a, a sincere, pure devotion to Christ. If there are multiple saviors, you don't have to have singleness of devotion. If there are many different ways, if it's part God, part you, you can have devotion to God and devotion to self. If Christ is the way, if Christ did everything necessary to reconcile us to God, then it calls for what he's saying, a sincere singleness of purpose, a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's a beautiful way of putting it. It's a great, great, great way to put it. If there's only one true ultimate Savior, if there's no life apart from Him, as He Himself said, John chapter 8, condemnation apart from Him, if He's the one all history has been waiting for, if He is the one who is the fulfillment of the new covenant, etc., it only makes sense for Christians, therefore, who've trusted in Him, to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And when people are trying to say, well, it's faith in Christ and now you don't have singleness of devotion, purity of devotion, it's bifurcated, to use a multi-syllable word, right? It's divided. And now Christ isn't receiving what he deserves. And now you're confused. There's a mess. What do we want for people? What do we want for Christians to the point it would cause us to even sound like rude people? Not nice people. We want, we want what's, what's the highest good? A sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Paul, why use the sarcasm? Why be so argumentative? Why be so belligerent? Why be so cantankerous? I don't know what other synonyms to kind of use to give you the bad vibe. Because there's nothing more significant on planet earth than a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I hope that's what would motivate us. I hope that's what would motivate me. I hope it's what would motivate you and motivate us as a church. We, we want the greatest good, the glory of Christ and, and what's best for other people. And so we preach good news. It is good news. We don't do it with a scowl. But when it's assaulted, 
we scowl. I'm afraid. I'm afraid, he says. Would like to go to 2 Corinthians 5.21. We won't for the sake of time. John chapter 8, verse 24. We won't for the sake of time. But he says, I'm afraid. I'm afraid something horrific is happening. Do look with me, if you would, to, to focus a little bit more on the fact that he says your thoughts. He says in verse 3, your thoughts will be led astray. I think that merits us taking a little bit closer look. He's concerned that their thoughts would be led astray. Now, if you would, turn back to chapter 10, verse 5, and he talked about thoughts in the previous uh, section, but same context. So he's very concerned about their thoughts, their thinking, their convictions. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So knowledge of God kind of thoughts. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. So consider with me the importance of thoughts. Thoughts about God. That's what's the true knowledge of God. How we think about God matters. And it even matters in obedience to Christ. And no doubt he's thinking about even right thinking about Christ. And that's what the whole letter's been about. He's afraid that their thinking about God is being perverted. It's being adulterated. It's being corrupted. And they're no longer thinking about God the right way. They're no longer thinking about Christ the right way. It's not leading to this pure devotion to Christ. Let's use a synonym for thoughts. He's concerned about their theology. He's concerned about their understanding about who God is. He's very concerned about their theology. And we hear people say, well, theology isn't really what matters. It's how you live your life. And I would say, if they had baloney back in the first century, the Apostle Paul would say, baloney! Don't get me wrong. He cares about how we live our life. He addresses that in other places. But no doubt... First and foremost, before we get to actions, we're talking about thoughts about God. We're talking about theology. Remember, lots of people who have terrible theology, who denied these essential truths about Christ, live seemingly good lives. The world is full of them then, it's full of them now. The big rub in 2 Corinthians is not how they're living their lives. That's a big rub in 1 Corinthians, <laughs> But it's not so much here. Theology matters. It matters so much, he's being rude. It matters so much, he's going to call them false apostles. It matters so much, he's saying, I'm afraid. And to, I mean, if we could, we could spend all day here. But thinking about, right, the, the, the sincere and pure devotion to Christ, let's call that, to use a big fancy church word, that's doxology, right? It's worship, praise, devotion. But what fuels true doxology? You know, if we're using ology words, and it is church, so we talk about theology, right? It's theology. An understanding about God, right? Well, who Christ is, what He's done. He is the fulfillment of the new covenant. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. 
regardless of what those other guys say. And that causes you to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm concerned about your thoughts. And we're going to have thought, or we're going to have a war about thoughts. Chapter 10. It happens in the level of the thinking and of the mind. Again, we get so confused because someone is nice or they look the part or they have good um, manners that we think that's really what matters most. The Apostle Paul's not thinking that way. If these false apostles weren't nice, more than likely the Corinthians wouldn't be listening to them. In fact, there's a contrast between them and Paul that goes throughout the whole letter. They seemingly look better. They more look the part. They seemingly sound better. They more sound the part. They apparently are nice on some sort of level because they're drawn to them. And Paul's saying, you know what I'm concerned about? You're thinking because it's bad, which is not leading to a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. It's pretty heavy stuff, huh, for a Sunday morning? Man, I hope this stuff is contagious. We, we would learn to love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more to realize He's better than we even thought He was. There's been so many great things throughout our study of this letter. The just for the unjust so that He might bring us to God kind of talk, whether it's in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and Romans. I mean, all these great things. But it causes us to have a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And when other Christians aren't able to experience that because it's faith and works... Um, or whatever else it might be. You say, you know what? You don't get it. Let me help you. Well, we should move on. He still talks about the grave concern in verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed... So the Jesus he proclaimed, I have to stop, it's rude, I know. The Jesus he proclaimed is the Jesus who again um, is the righteous one, um, who's the reconciling one, who is the fulfillment that we've been waiting for, the end game, if you will, in all the best senses, the mediator of the new covenant that was long ago promised. I mean, that's the Jesus he's been preaching. He's been preaching the Jesus that did everything necessary to bring us to God. That's why salvation to you and to me is by trusting in Jesus, not by doing. So if somebody preaches to you a different Jesus than the one we've been preaching, okay, let's keep going. Or if you receive a different spirit, some of your translations have lowercase s, some have uppercase s. It's the same word. Context determines meaning. And given what he's saying here, I would take it as uppercase s, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's been emphasized throughout this letter. Uh, the Holy Spirit is, is associated heavily in the Old Testament and in the New with the coming of the New Covenant, with Christ being the one who is the fulfillment of the New Covenant. And so I would take it that way. So somebody proclaims a different spirit other than the Holy Spirit, the one who regenerates, the one who brings new life, the one who again ushers in and makes real the new covenant through the resurrection of Jesus. Remember, the Spirit raised Him from the dead, Paul would say elsewhere. 
Then it says, look with me there if you keep going. Or if you accept a different gospel, not the only time he said that, he said that in Galatians, a different good news other than the good news about Christ's perfect life, death, resurrection, from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. He uses the word for patience. Translated elsewhere, like in Ephesians. You're patient. You put up with it. Are you crazy? Right? Another gospel that really isn't another gospel, he would say in Galatians. Another Jesus who isn't really another Jesus. There's only really one. Another spirit who really isn't another spirit. There's only really one. And I've been telling you all about him. But when you, you hear that, what do you do? You have such good manners. Patience is a virtue. Not always. Patience isn't a virtue when it comes to people who are assaulting the truth of the one true living God. The Apostle Paul is scolding them for patience. In another context, fruit of the Spirit. Not here. Please, Mr. and Mrs. Christian and your beautiful kids, if you have them. If you have kids, I'm sure they're beautiful if you do. I one time, I heard Alistair Begg one time say, Mr. and Mrs. Jones and your ugly children. And I was like, what? But I guess if you have a Scottish accent, everything you say is true. Um, which is why you should never believe people with foreign accents because they sound so smart. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Christian. Just trying to say, all of you who are here, Young, old, single, widowed, married, whatever it is. Don't get confused about what's virtuous and what's not virtuous. It's true. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. But it's not always right to be patient. He has a divine jealousy here. I would take it that Spirit born if it's divine jealousy. And he's criticizing these Christians for tolerating liars about Jesus. And it ought not be so. Ought not be so. I, I would I, I, I want again again have a positive, nice demeanor. But keep your grubby hands off the purity of the gospel or else. At least that's how we talked at Northwest High School where I graduated. <laughs> You tolerate everything, it seems, but the right thing. And that's not right. Maybe before we go to verse 5, you know, an important thing here to just have me remind you is how important it is that we know what the gospel is. And so I think we have seen in 2 Corinthians the Apostle Paul um, digging in at times, digging deeper, helping them, being patient with them. He's not in scold mode throughout the book with the, the, the believers, but he's trying to help them really understand who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. Because if we don't, this stuff all sounds like lunacy. But if we really understand the genuine article of what, regarding what Christ has done, then it makes sense. And then we can say, okay, then, that, then that's wrong. Let's move on to verse 5. 
Verse 5 says, Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. He's going to call them false apostles later, so don't, don't misunderstand what he's saying. That probably is what they're calling themselves, right? Or, or what the Christians are calling them. There are celebrity apostles. We love that. They're awesome. They've got the look. They've got the talk. They've got the fame. They've got the book deals. Whatever it is, I don't know. But they're super apostles, They're so wonderful, so great, so attractive. And he calls them super apostles and they've got nothing on me, he says. Verse 6 says, even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. So unskilled maybe by comparison. Unskilled maybe on purpose. Because he's no dummy. Maybe just verbal rhetoric. But at this point in time, he's saying, you know, you want to compare me? I'm not less than them. As a matter of fact, when you, when you want to talk about comparison, maybe they sound better. But let me tell you something. They're not better when it comes to knowledge. Thinking about God. Their theology is not better than mine. Right? I just turned in my 12th dissertation. Not really, but the equivalent. It's the Apostle Paul. He gets it. He understands it. He owns this stuff to the point where he's promoting it, articulating it, and he's saying, you want to match wits with me theologically? They're a bunch of bozos. Super apostles? They're from bizarro world. Do notice, I'm not so in knowledge. Again, we could look at another text where, you know, knowledge can be a bad thing. Knowledge puffs up. That's true. It can. Here the apostles saying, you know what is most important in this conversation? Who's got the right knowledge? Maybe we could deal with motives in another section. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about getting the gospel right. And when it comes to knowledge, I know what I'm talking about, is what he's saying. I got this figured out. I mentioned it last week and I want to do it again, but it, it, it is worth thinking now for a second how this is perceived. Maybe it's perceived this way from you and I don't mean to have it be perceived in a bad way. But a lot of this would be heard, apart from a greater context, as utter arrogance and just being a jerk. It, because if this is Paul's truth and then you've got the super apostles' truth, and then the Corinthians have their truth, and we all have our truth, the Apostle Paul's just a jerk. Okay? This is all uncalled for. This is arrogance. This is pride. This is insanity. But if there is such a thing as truth, and he's actually going to say in verse 10, there is the truth about Christ, because we're talking about objective reality, risen from the dead bodily, interpreted it with his own understandable words. It's not arrogance. It's reasonableness. But boy, think about how this would be heard apart from the category of objectivity. I mean, this is like, what? But if Jesus was really here and he really talked and he really suffered his whole life, obeyed his whole life, said he did so on behalf of everyone who would believe, and he was crucified to atone for our sins, and he was raised for his justification and ours so that we could be reconciled to God, and he actually did it. 
That's why you'd fight. That's why you'd name call. That's why you'd say, I know what I'm talking about and they don't. So keep that in mind, please. It says in verse 6, let's keep moving. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So I, I circled in every way. So he's very, very clear. Um, in all things. Very, very consistent. Very, very extensive. Again, very, very clear. It's we, not just me, though he may be using it as a, just a, a writing technique. But any, uh, those who he's with, in every way and in all things, we've made this plain. This, probably referring to what we know is true about Christ. We know the right thing about God and Christ, and we've made it clear. And we've made it cl- clear every which way but sideways. It's what's permeated our teaching. It's what's permeated our ministry. We've made this very clear to you. This isn't some sort of half-baked philosophy that we just came up with after eating too much falafel or whatever he might have been eating back in the day. This isn't whimsical. This isn't fly-by-night, I've got a new cooked-up kind of teaching. No, this is what we've been doing, and it's been with clarity, it's been with extensiveness. Otherwise, it wouldn't call for such extreme measures. We've made this plain. Your new super apostles might be great talkers and great other things, but they don't know what they're talking about. I actually do, is the gist of what he's saying. How about that, huh? I mean, it's, it's just like, it's intense. It's really intense. Here's where Paul fails the survey evaluation of what most Americans are looking for in a preacher. An open and affirming style. That study's a little bit old now. It might even be 20 years old. Um, it's probably still not half off the mark. He's got an open and affirming style when it comes to the gospel and the Lord Jesus Christ. But not when it comes to telling lies about Jesus. Okay, can we move on? Okay, now he's going to talk about money and humility a little bit. So, uh, just re- be ready for kind of the, the dripping sarcasm and the agenda because of the accusations. We'll do this rather quickly, I think. He says in verse 7, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Now, that sounds a lot like somebody we know. Hint, hint, like flashing light. Did I commit a sin in humbling myself for the good of other people? Um, is, it, is it a sin to be Christ-like if you're a Christian? No doubt he has Christ in mind when he's saying that. They're attacking his humility as showing inauthent- inauthenticity. Well, if you're going to do that, you better throw rocks, not just in my direction. He says, because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. Since when is humility a sin in the Christian world? Are you crazy? 
Uh, not only that, somehow you, you're applying, you, you get what you pay for when it comes to the gospel. And since you didn't pay for the gospel, it's not true. I mean, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, an, an adherent to that philosophy, right? Kind of the longer you live life, a lot of times you think you get what you pay for, right? But he's not talking about someone's, you know, free changing table out on the street with the free sign. Because it's relatively worthless. He's not taught, the gospel is, is, came at great cost to Christ. It, it, it was extraordinary and amazing. It's the greatest thing of all. But because Christ has done it all, it comes to us freely. That doesn't mean it's not worth something. And when I preach it, he's saying, I don't do it for money, maybe in contrast to first century orators. And if they're really good, you pay for them. He's saying, it's not like, it's not like that when it comes to the gospel. Verse 8, notice the dramatic way of putting this. I robbed other churches. I don't think he would say that if he weren't, you know, in this, this battle thing going on here. But by comparison, I, 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 I stole from other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. This was all calculated when I came to Corinth, so I didn't sound like all the other guys. This is strategic. And verse 9 says, And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need, so I refrained and will, re will refrain from burdening you in any way. So we can look at Luke chapter 10, verse 7, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, that a worker is worthy of their wages. It's even applied to preachers. But Paul knew what he was getting into in Corinth, so he purposely chose not to take anything or expect anything. And he's saying, I never, ever, ever will. I'm supported from the other churches who get it. Verse 10, as the church of Christ is in me, excuse me, as the truth of Christ is in me, as the truth of Christ is in me, oh, there's objectivity, by the way. As sure as I'm a gospel preacher of the truth about Christ is the idea, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. In other words, may it be known throughout the whole region that I don't do what I do for money. Chapter 2, we are not those who peddle the Word of God as some. Different. Verse 11, here's why. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. This is where I wrote Bizarro World in my notes. I gave you a gift so we didn't love you? This doesn't even make sense. This is unreasonable. This is, this is bizarre. What? Sin doesn't make sense. This is obnoxious rationale to, to, to suggest otherwise. Verse 12, and, and what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. So everything within my power is going to make it clear that we don't play for the same team. They might have ordered fake knockoff jerseys that look like my jersey, but if you've got the real jersey, you know they got theirs on eBay. I will make it my mission in life to make sure you Corinthians understand that those guys and my guys don't play on the same team. They might... Say they're apostles. Oh, they talk about Jesus. They even talk about the gospel and the Holy Spirit. They've got the Christian verbiage. 
and they're knockoffs, and they're not safe. This is, this is not for the faint of heart. This is hardcore. But we understand why. Then verse 13. For such men are false apostles. Again, if there's no such thing as objective truth, the truth about Christ, no one has any business saying that. But he does. Deceitful workmen. So spiritual deception is their stock and trade, even to the point of being labeled false apostles, distinguishing themselves as apostles of Christ, or excuse me, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, verse 14 says, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of the light. Right? Light would be associated with truth. Light would be associated with God, goodness, gospel, Jesus. This is super easy to understand, maybe hard to swallow. They've got the right vocabulary. They seem to look right. They seem to sound right. And the Apostle Paul saying, you know what? This shouldn't surprise us because Satan disguises himself. I think lots of Christians give the benefit of the doubt all too quickly. So when someone says they are a Christian preacher, a Christian teacher, and they name Jesus and they talk about the gospel, all of a sudden, oh, they're on our team. Let's talk about what you believe about Jesus. Let's talk about what you believe about how to be right with God. Let's talk about whether or not your theology would lead you to have sincere, single-minded, pure devotion to one. Because he did it all. Theology, devotion, doxology. I realize now we sound like the mean people, and now we're the divisive people, and now we're the angry people, and all of these kinds of things. All the more so, let's be as nice as we can possibly be whenever we can be as nice as we can possibly be. But when it comes to the truth of the gospel and soul devotion to Christ, we love people so much we're not willing to let them be lied to and misled by satanic deceivers. Verse 15 says, So it is no surprise if his servants, again, the supposed apostles who are actually false apostles, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, servants of God, servants of God's ways, servants of God's law, servants of supposedly the true Christ, their end will correspond to their deeds. What a thing to say, right? It's like, (laughs) you smell that? You smell sulfur? I think I smell sulfur. They're going to hell, is what he's saying. Because they're deceivers, and they're going to get what they deserve. This is not a good look. It's not a good look at all. Not a good candidating sermon, by the way. So the next church I go to, I'm probably not going to do this sermon. He, he wants us to see. He wants it to be black and white because we're talking about the truth of Christ. And so you've got the truth of Christ and then you have a bazillion and one growing always errors and errorists. 
And don't be misled by the fact that they use the word gospel and they use the word Jesus and they talk about the spirit. Don't be misled by that. The reality is, if it's a theology that leads you to have split devotion, oh, thank you that you provided partway God and I did the other part. Man, we're in. Knuckles. That's not sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Amen to that. Paul is crazy. Unless there is the truth of the gospel, and unless the ultimate good is a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Let's end on this. Isn't it interesting that in 1 Corinthians, Paul suggests that it's okay to go buy meat that's been sacrificed to idols by pagans for pagan worship. If your conscience will allow. If you're coming out of that kind of background, maybe it's more than you can handle, but you'll grow out of it and you'll understand that you should go shop at the grocer with the cheapest meat and it's idol meat. Okay? He doesn't fight about that. Does he think idolatry is good? Of course he doesn't think idolatry is good. But idolaters do idolatry, right? I mean, you'd just expect that. You want to share the gospel with them? Sure. But you would just expect idolaters to be into idolatry. Go buy the cheap meat. But when it comes to the church, it's a different story. in In a sense, the harshness isn't here. The harshness is here. Because while we would expect idolaters to be in idolatry, we would expect Christians to have sincere and pure devotion to Christ. We, we, we get it wrong and flipped so many times. Let's not get it wrong and flipped. Let's not get it wrong and flipped. I hope this is going to rub off on you. I hope, like never before, by God's grace, you want to go deep into knowing God in Christ theology so that you can have a growing, sincere, and pure devotion to Christ who is worthy because He and He alone is our great and amazing Savior. Father, thank You so much for this morning. Thank You for a great text like this. Uh, All joking aside, what a great, great text to refine our thinking, to help us really to be able to understand that there's a lot at stake and that Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone is the one true mediator between God and man, uh, that we might honor Him and live for His glory. We're so grateful today to be able to gather like this as a church. May we leave thinking about the greatness of Christ. May we leave wanting to live for his honor and certainly giving him thanks for what he's done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.